Hello, everybody. Rick Manning, President of Americans for Limited Government here talking about uh, elections. And one of the things that uh, Steve Bannon said yesterday, um, where he was referring to President the possibility that the Department of Justice um, would indict uh, President Trump sometime after the election, um, sometime next uh, five, six weeks after the election, but before the Republican Congress, if they Republicans should win, takes office. And what the ramifications that were, uh, Mr. Bannon, who's a friend of mine, um, said that this would prompt Congress, like the prompt Congress, to impeach Merrick Garland, the Attorney General, um, and also to take efforts to defund uh, large swaths. They've said all of the Department of Justice. So that is a. So I wanted to mention that because all of that stuff is contingent upon what happens November eighth. Um, if the Republicans don't have a massive victory on November 8th, I, it's just a fact that there will be very little reprisal against the Democrats, against the Justice Department for their ongoing abuse of power. And so it's one of the things that's really at stake in terms of November 8th. I want to show you a couple of things about it. And as I've talked to you in the past, the generic ballot is, is running uh, Real Clear right now has about 2.8% for in favor of Republicans. Um, the last six or seven polls that they've counted have all been uh, saying the Republicans were leading the generic ballot anywhere from four to four to five percent to two and a half to two and a half percent. So we're settled. We've settled in about 2.8% right now generic ballot lead. That is uh, significant. I want to, but I want to show you something that I think will put some some of this stuff into perspective for you, and then I'll get to some specifics on races. You know, a lot of people wonder how do how do pollsters figure out who's going to vote and who's not going to vote because you have registered voter polls and you have likely voter polls, and obviously, the what matters in a poll is who actually shows up and vote of the people who go out and say. Um, I am, uh, I support this candidate or that candidate, I support the Republicans, support the Democrats, I support the Libertarians. Which of those people are going to vote? Because that's really where a lot of the art is in polling. And I'm going to show you something that is, was in the, I think the Wall Street Journal. Um, no, this is Pew Research. Um, Pew Research did this and it shows the, um, it shows something very simple. It, it shows, uh, the voter turnout rate, how it increased sharply across racial and ethnic groups during the 2018 midterm over the 2014 midterm. Now, I'm just going to read you these numbers since it's kind of hard to see on the screen. Um, white turnout in 2014 was 45.8%. In 2018, it was 57.85%. Remember, in 2014, the Republicans won a significant victory in the House of Representatives. And in 2018, uh, Nancy Pelosi was returned to uh, the speakership in, 20, in 2018. So you had a, a, an increase, basically, of white turnout of about 12, 12%, a little less than 12%. Um, black turnout went from 40.6% to 51.4%. Uh, that's a, almost 10%, more than a 10% jump in black turnout. Why that matters is because blacks overwhelmingly vote for Democrats. So whereas white turnout of an increase of five, six, seven percent, say five percent, um, or even 10 percent, a white turnout increase of 10 percent 
if white voters are split 55-45, that means you're only gonna 10, you know, for every 10 votes, you know, actually over 100 votes, you get about 10 uh, that are uh, that are gonna be supportive of uh, a swing vote. And so you need to have a massive tur more turnout when there's a split, close split in a racial group. Whereas a black, since it's about 90-10 split, 88-12 split, um, you really are looking at for every 10 votes cast, eight of those votes are going to the Democrat. And so when you, and even though the black population is significantly lower than the white population, the a jump in turnout by 0.1.5% or 10.5% uh, represents a huge shift of votes towards the Democrats. Similarly, in his, you had Hispanic votes going from uh, 20 point, 20, 27 uh, percent up to 40.4 percent. Hispanics voted about 14 percent differential. So you have the so that's that's the how voters turned out in the previous elections. Now let's look at what the what the one of the likely vote, one of the polls show. This was from the Wall Street Journal poll. Um, that just came out. It's a registered voter poll, not a likely voter poll. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the polling numbers. Just suffice it to say, Republicans are up by three in, in the generic ballot. It's sort of the same. But being a registered voter poll, it's it includes a lot of people who aren't going to vote, quite frankly, and, and so and gives them equal weight to people who are going to vote. And as a result, it's kind of a lazy poll for this time of year. And quite honestly, um, traditionally would understate uh, Republican support based on it being a registered voter poll. It is done uh, jointly by a Republican and a Democrat pollster, both are reputable. And so I don't doubt the, the questioning or, um, or even the sample, but what I do doubt is doing a registered voter poll in the end of October is kind of absurd. Um, but nonetheless, the Wall Street Journal poll shows Republicans are leading. It shows there's going to be a red wave. Um, but here's the interesting part that I wanted to bring your attention, because this is part of this is to try to kind of help you guys think creatively and think, think about how these polls are done. Um, they asked the question, how motivated are you to vote in the November 2022 election on a scale of 1 to 10, where 1 means you're not at all motivated and 10 means you're extremely motivated. So let's just take the 10s, okay? White voters are supposedly, in this registered voter poll, about over 80% are enthusiastic to vote. Now, you remember in, the, in 2018, it, was, it didn't pop above 55%. So are all 80% of those white voters going to vote? No, they're not. Um, if they did, that would match presidential levels. Um, African-American voters are, are sitting there at 68%. Um, Democrat Hispanic voters are 64%. So, so there, you know, so you have a circumstance here where you're learning that there's a, it's really, really hard to tease out who's actually going to vote, who's actually going to vote. And that's why sometimes you see this wild change in polls because people make different assumptions about who's going to vote and the likelihood of a vote. But I will tell you flat out, if, you know, 
I, I will give my staff a raise if uh, 84, 83% of the Republicans are the white population in this country are registered to vote, actually vote in the 2020, in this 2022 election. Um, that would be astonishing. Um, and then you go to people say eight to nine, you know, they're eight to nine likely as opposed to 10, which is the top eight to nine is brings you up over 90% of white voters supposedly going to vote. You know, it's, it's, it's almost this, it tells you the challenge of trying for a pollster trying to figure out who's going to vote because we know about 20% of the people who say they're going to vote in this poll aren't going to vote, just not going to vote. So who, which are those people? We don't know. Um, but what we do know is that Republicans as a whole seem to be more motivated to vote than Democrats. And that's not just based on ethics. It's, it's based on just, you know, they ask, are you a Republican or a Democrat? And Republicans seem to be more likely to vote than Democrats. Um, we're seeing that in some places where you're able to tabulate where early voting's occurring. occurring and we're finding early that uh, rather than and this is a couple of day old data, so don't hold me to it. But um, a couple of days ago, we were seeing that Fulton County, Georgia, which is obviously a Democrat stronghold, made famous for shutting down uh, election counting uh, in the middle of the night on election day in 2020 uh, because of a water leak that didn't exist, um, and then rolling out suitcases of ballots once all the observers had gone. Um, nothing suspect there, but uh, Fulton County, uh, wasn't in the top five counties for voter turnout in the early voting. That's Stacey Abrams, basic, who's running for governor. That's her place. You know, it's Raphael Warnock, who's running for Senate. Now, he's got to turn out massive votes in Fulton County. If they're not getting the early voting out of Fulton County, they're in trouble. I mean, they're in deep trouble. And the fact that Republican counties seem, seem to be voting early and seem to be voting heavily shows there's more, much more intensity, which is obviously good news. Um, in Arizona, um, big news, the um, the Libertarian candidate in Arizona is dropping out and has endorsed the Republican Blake Masters. That race has been confounding to me because um, Mark Kelly, the incumbent or Democrat senator in, in Arizona, um, is a is nothing more than an average Democrat who could represent Connecticut, Rhode Island, could represent anywhere in America that's got a far left-wing base and be very comfortable. And yet he's been uh, the anti-maverick. He's been the rubber stamp for New York's Chuck Schumer. And he represents, he represents Arizona, supposedly. And yet he's persistently been showing himself to be slightly ahead in the polls. Part of that, as we discussed last time, um, is due to you know, some campaign efforts done by the Democrats to spend lots of money attacking the Republican opponent um, during the summer when very little, when essentially uh, the Republican uh, leadership chose not to spend any money defending the incumbent or the uh, challenger, the Republican challenger, and kind of preset negatives against the Republican challenger. And it's really hard to undo those in election. But what we're saying is, uh, you know, once again, good news. The Libertarian candidate, who was last poll got 6% of the electorate, um, has said, I'm dropping out. I'm endorsing the Republican Blake Masters. This is uh, really good news. 
It doesn't mean that all the libertarian votes are going to go to uh, the Republican or to Blake Masters, but it's generally inferred that uh, if you're about you know one to two, if you're getting six percent, uh, this probably means a percentage point more leaning over towards uh, towards Blake Masters in terms of this guy saying he he's going to move out of the way, and his name's Mark Victor. Um, move out of the way and say, you know, vote for Black Masters. It's more important that uh, people are for freedom win than that I win. Pretty powerful statement. Um, but once again, you know, some people have already voted, you know, with early voting. Some people have already voted in Arizona. Um, some people who are libertarian saying, I'm not voting for Republican, I'm not voting for Democrat, I'm a libertarian. And hence, I'm still voting for, he's still on the ballot, so I'm still voting for Mark Victor because I'm not voting for Republican or Democrat. Um, some people who are libertarian are libertarian because they want you know, drugs, uh, drugs um, legalized and they'll probably vote for, uh, they'll probably vote for uh, uh, the Democrat, Mark Kelly. And others are libertarian because they like economic freedom and they'll probably vote for the Republican. But this is a significant endorsement. It does mean uh, it, fine, it, it it takes some of the some of the questions off the field, and hopefully, um, will contribute about a point a point and a half to uh, uh, Blake Masters. The so that's good news. Um, Real Clear Politics is predicting that Blake Masters will win that race, um, but it's truthfully, the polls haven't broken as hard for him as I as I'd hoped they would, and so there's you know every one of these races is unique in and of it in and of themselves. And it's a, um, and quite honestly, are closer than uh, than I'd hoped. We know that in the same state, Carrie Lake, um, real clear, clear politics average has her ahead by about three points. But the, you know, the, it is widely anticipated in the state that she's going to um, just do quite, she's going to destroy her opponent, Katie Hobbs, who refused to debate her. Um, and Carrie Lake is probably your best example. If every Republican out there, everybody who stands up against the left, that doesn't mean Republicans do that, um, but anybody who's standing up against the media, the media onslaught, they should watch what Carrie Lake does because she just fearlessly stands in front of them and takes them, to pee, takes them apart. She doesn't, she's never on defense, she's on offense. And when they attack her, she goes back and says, and basically calls them out for being nothing more than uh, left-wing shills that they are. So it is a, and with facts. So it's a really interesting, she does an extraordinary job. She's tough and she's got a media persona. She already has, a, she had a built-in base because she was a news anchor in uh, Phoenix for many, many years. And so really turning out to be a phenomenal candidate who is completely unafraid. And the one thing the, le the left and the media in particular, if they see any fear, they're going to tear at you like sharks. And Carrie Lake gives it back to them and kind of creates a, I actually saw somebody talking about how Carrie Lake bullies the media and how, how the media has to be strong to stand up to her. Isn't that funny? It's a, uh, Carrie Lake, she bullies the media. Poor media. Don't you feel bad for them? Um, the... Uh, there's a couple of other things I want to point out. Um, 
and, and I, I'm going to Oregon just because it's a it's an interesting state to me. I did a congrat or a gubernatorial race a long, long time ago in, in Oregon. Oregon has all mail-in ballots. So the ballots were mailed a couple of weeks ago, actually. And so the so they've been voting all along. The what we see in terms of the, the voting is a pretty significant, you know, there's three candidates in the race. There's a Republican, a Democrat, and an independent who, and the independent has been both a Republican and a Democrat in the past. And she was very well funded early on in the campaign. Uh, Phil Knight from Nike, for instance, gave her a lot of money um, early in the campaign. To tell you how the campaign's going, uh, Phil Knight has thrown money into the Republican campaign, um, about a million bucks, um, into the Republican campaign just to cover his bases. So that's your, so Drazen is ahead, according to this, um, and you know, the, once again, the interesting thing is a lot of the ballots have already been cast in Oregon. And it's, it's one of those weird things that when people are casting ballots, we saw this in 2020, when people are casting ballots early, they're basically saying, there's nothing that you can say to convince me of anything other than how I'm going to vote. And, and so the, one of the tricks in a campaign is to figure out who's voting early and to, if you can't, if you can't chronicle it, you can't find it from the registrars of voters, it's not published. And then, so you can narrow the people you're talking to down to the people who are really undecided. And that's a, and so when you have long-term, long-term voting that's by mail, you have a, a means that you should be able to figure out the people who are voting and who's, who are not voting and be able to then narrow your audience dramatically. And if you're not using just broadcast TV, um, that should, you should be able to be smart about your targeting. But Drazen is ahead. People I know in Oregon expect her to win. Um, so that would be a take up, takeover in of the governor's mansion in Oregon, um, which quite honestly is uh, pretty shocking for a lot of people. Um, not for me though. Um, I'm gonna look at Nevada as well. Um, you'll note I say Nevada, that's how people out west call it. Uh, it's not Nevada, it's Nevada. Um, but in Nevada, Steve Sislik, who's the governor of Nevada, um, shut down the Las Vegas, Clark County for a year. Um, wouldn't allow NASCAR races to be run at the speed Las Vegas Speedway. Um, was basically took really did real harm to the casino industry, which is lifeblood of the state and in Las Vegas. And now Sisolak is running and he is, uh, and he doesn't have some of the unions who used to support him are basically sitting on their hands in Clark County because they were put out of work. And so there's a, so Sisolak is showing, uh, is running against a guy named uh, Lombardo. Lombardo is a, is the Clark County Sheriff. So he's a proven vote getter in the biggest jurisdiction in the state, Clark County, which is where Las Vegas is. And Lombardo is uh, showing that he is uh, that he is up in this race um, by about one and a half points. Um, when you look at this same race, the Senate race in Nevada, which would be a Republican pickup, um, one that people didn't really have on their radar screen a year and a half ago, um, you see uh, Adam Laxalt, who's the current Attorney General of the state, um, so he has won statewide races is up uh, just slightly up on the Democrat, uh, on the Democrat. 
And it's a, and so although the last two polls show the Democrat up, um, Laxalt has, uh, Laxalt's not going to run, run behind Lombardo. So in fact, Democrats are becoming more and more convinced that they're going to lose the Nevada seat. Um, but that'll be one to look at late next week. Uh, it'll, it'll come in, there'll be some late counting and stuff. And all of these races are close enough that um, it's going to matter. People getting everybody out to vote is going to matter because we have to win by enough that they can't steal it. I'm going to look at, there's another piece of this puzzle that you all should know about. You can learn a lot about how the various committees, the Republican Congressional Committee, the Democrat Congressional Committee, how they react, what do they do? The Democrat con Congressional Committee about three weeks ago started pulling money from races that were um, marginal Democrat seats, lean Democrat seats, and putting them into races where they're trying to defend incumbents who were in um, more solid Democrat districts. Um, and so they were so they were not on the offense, they're on the defense, trying to consolidate their dollars to try to create a, a wall uh, of, of support for Democrat for Democrat members. And that wall, and, and so that's what they've done. On the Republican side, um, the NRCC has started going into in the last week, um, has started going into races that they were not weren't even on their board. Um, a month and a half ago, a friend of mine's running for Congress up in Baltimore County, Carroll County, um, Maryland too. And her, her name's Nicolee Ambrose. She's a uh, worked with her the Labor Department under George W. Bush, and good person, uh, dedicated, hardcore Republican. But you know, I she's so much better than the incumbent, um, and she's one of those people who works really hard. Well, the NRCC just went into her race after ignoring her for the past, you know, eight months, um, as she's been begging them for help, they ignored her, ignored her, ignored her. And now, and then 10 days before she, uh, before the election, the NRCC is going in with radio, with some television advertising, Baltimore media market and like. Why that matters is she couldn't afford to do TV, but she had to show that she was, that it was a winnable race. And after showing it was a winnable race, they brought they they moved money to to invest in that race because there were races that were competitive that aren't competitive anymore. So they don't need to spend a bunch of money on races that were anticipated to be competitive. They're going to win those races. So the way you create a wave is you move your money to to uh, more and more uh, difficult races to win. And if you if you have the if you move it right. And the right and, and get it there early enough, you can win. You can win a lot of elections that you didn't think you were going to win. Um, I thought Nick Lee was going to win from day one. She's uh, the incumbents voted with Pelosi. It's a conservative Democrat district, um, and the incumbent has been out. Is got elected a long time ago, and really fell out of touch. And as a result, uh, she's. I think she's. I think she's going to win NRCC help or not, but. This is a district that was D plus eight. Um, when you look at the real clear politics uh, list on the different uh, election, different districts, it was a likely Democrat district according to real clear politics, not based on any polling, just based on common wisdom in Washington, DC. 
Um, Republicans, I will be shocked if the Republicans don't win that seat. That seat. So that's when an example of how the, the money gets moved and you can watch it and it makes a fundamental difference. Um, and you can see how the wave is going based on how the, the political actors are, are playing. Um, and it's just one of those little, little things you can watch in the future. If the Republicans are abandoning seats or the Democrats are abandoning seats, that becomes a, a pretty big signal. And once again, as I discussed last week, it's why when Mitch McConnell attacked his own candidates for Senate, it was so damaging because it sent a message that he had not, no expectation of taking over the Senate. Um, and he was putting the blame on, on the candidates and the candidate selection and everybody but him. And when he dropped, when he stopped putting money in into races that, like the one we discussed, um, uh, the race in uh, Arizona, um, when he stopped putting money and he said, we're not going to put money into Arizona anymore. And when he moved money from, uh, moved money from New Hampshire um, which is a dead heat right now, by the way. Um, the latest poll shows it exactly even. Um, and that's a means all the tide is turning towards Balduck and Maggie Hassan is in deep trouble. Um, but so when Mitch McConnell moved money out of New Hampshire, he sent a message. He says, oh, we're not going to win in New Hampshire. And he put his money into, into Alaska. He said, oh, I've got to save Lisa Murkowski from a conservative Republican. That's, you know, that was a choice he had every right to make. He raised the money, he can spend it how he wants to. But it showed you that what the priorities were for McConnell. And it's why political people all reacted to it, why it was so important that Senator Rick Scott, who's the head of the National Republican Senatorial Committee, I'm using a lot of names here, but um, moved money into New Hampshire to fill the void. Because most of these races can't afford to, they don't raise 10, 15, 20 million bucks. It's the leadership PACs that do. It's the National Republican Senatorial Committee that does, that raises hundreds of millions of dollars, that they then allocate to uh, the battlefield where they think the battle is most likely to be won um, in terms of, as opposed to just, you invest in races that you win 60, 40, you wasted your money. The objective is to invest in races where you're going to win a 50, you know, 51, 49, uh, 55, 45. You're going to move those races from, from even to, to a hard, strong win or from slightly behind to, to uh, winning the race. And so that's why Rick Scott's efforts at NRSC in New Hampshire are really making a difference. And quite honestly, why Mitch McConnell abandoning that, that field was, um, has to be pretty distressing for a lot of the people who, um, who vote for him for majority leader in the, in the Republican conference. So those are, that's, that's kind of what's happening. I'm going to take this thing down because you don't need to see it anymore. Um, the so when Steve Bannon says, when Steve Bannon says, there's going to be investigations. There's a, Department of Justice is going to be held accountable, folks. The only way Department of Justice can be held accountable is if we get to 55 in the Senate. We have to also have about a 40 vote majority in the in the uh, we have to get to about 245 in the House in terms of number of Republicans. Um, right now, there's 212. So that's a 38 point, 38 Republican jump. Um, if we can get to 250, even better. Because there's going to be a lot of people who get elected who don't want to deal with Department of Justice. 
They don't want to go back and relitigate stuff. Don't want to hold people accountable for the abuse. And I understand that. But if nobody's held accountable, then what disincentive is there for them to do it again and continue doing it? So Steve Bannon's right. There should be accountability. But the only way there will be is if we have such an overwhelming wave that the Republicans do not lose a single seat that they currently hold. And they pick up three, four, five seats. And the, the five seats they're most likely to pick up are Arizona, Nevada, um, let me think, uh, New Hampshire, it's three. Um, there's uh, Pennsylvania, Georgia is four. And the fifth one has to be um, a wild card, a wild card that people aren't, uh, aren't talking about. There's, there's money being put into Connecticut, for instance, um, against Blumenthal. Um, and the fact that Connecticut is a competitive state right now, tells you everything you need to know. And they're concerned about Blumenthal supporting the green agenda and effectively uh, them freezing because there are a lot of people in Connecticut are dependent upon heating oil. They're dependent, you know, inflation hits there too. So those are the things that happen. And I'm going to get to the, when we sent this thing out, we talked about suburban women walking away from the Democratic Party. Ultimately, suburban women, particularly single suburban women, have been have been trending towards the Democrats for a long time. Um, some used to be that you Republicans won married women, uh, Republicans lost uh, single women, and Republicans lost divorced divorced women, unmarried divorced unmarried women. So you have a that was kind of the breakout. Um, over the last couple of years, the Republicans have done more and more poorly with women as a whole. And so you have a uh, almost a, because of inflation, because of crime, you have almost a, re, a return to uh, kind of normal voting patterns. Um, the I'm going to just I want to look at this one again um, because and then I'll let you go. Um, I'm going to read this to you because you can't read it on there, unfortunately. Um, this is from the Wall Street Journal poll. And they, they reported what some people were saying. Ashley Smith, who was polled, a supermarket worker in Brooklyn, said that crime is at the top of her mind, mind for her this year, in addition to the economy. Still, Ms. Smith, a self-described liberal, said she was leaning toward backing Democrat Governor Kathy Hochul for re-election over her GOP challenger, Lee Zeldin. That race has gotten unexpectedly, unexpectedly competitive in recent weeks with Zeldin putting an emphasis on cutting crime in New York City. The crime is always going to be there. It's New York City, said Ms. Smith. It's just a point of keeping it at a steady level so we don't have to feel terribly scared to walk outside. Okay, Terribly scared to walk outside. Okay, Ms. Smith, 32, said that despite the spike in the crime at a time when Democrats lead local government, she trusted Democrats more to address the issue and thought Mr. Zeldin was unlikely to come to New York City communities if elected governor. So you have a self-described liberal Democrat who's not sure how she's going to vote in the gubernatorial race, but feels party loyalty to Democrats. The fact that she's not sure how she's going to vote tells you everything you need to know, because Ashley Smith is somebody who would automatically vote for the Democrats in previous elections. And this year, she's not sure. And a voter who's unsure how to vote 
doesn't vote. And that's why when you looked at who's going to vote and all that kind of stuff, that's why the likely voter surveys are so, there's art, because they're trying to figure out, is Ashley Smith going to vote or not? And given the fact that she isn't sure who she's going to vote for, the likelihood of her voting diminishes greatly when she was a vote that was in the bag for the Democrats in previous elections. So that's the last of the little warning here. I wanted to do this because a week out, you're going to hear a lot about polls. You're going to have people talking about polls. And I just wanted you guys to get a little bit of insight into some of the things to look at and how you can help, um, what, what that looks like. Um, I'm going to look at a couple of uh, things before I leave here, a couple of comments. Um, don't just warn. I've got to get this thing away. Boom, boom, boom. Got to do something different here. Got to go there. Okay. Uh, Marcy Faye Kaplan Payne, don't just walk away from the Democratic Party run. Well, you know, Ashley Smith uh, is afraid to walk her streets in New York. So uh, I guess she's going to be running one. She's going to be running if uh, because the Democrats can maintain control there. But it is a, uh, yeah, it's um, if you. If you care about your freedom, you have to, you know, any Democrat who looks around and cares about their freedom, they have to find, they have to uh, disavow what they're looking at. Um, if 10,000 Russians crossing the Ukraine border is an invasion, then why isn't the 2 million people crossing the American southern border not called an invasion? Um, it's not called an invasion because um, one, the political party in power is in fact encouraging them to come. That is the answer. Um, maybe it kind of has been an issue, but this is over the top. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, Darlene, if what that's specifically referring to, but um, the economy has been an issue. And, and I'm just going to tell you why for a second. Everybody knows, you know, inflation and all that, but people under the age of 50 have never experienced inflation. You know, whereas maybe 45, but by and large, People who are millennials, people who are Gen Zs have never experienced inflation. And because they've never actually experienced inflation until now, they don't, they, it was never an issue for them. It wasn't a concern. But once you first experience the idea that your, your buying power goes down, interest rates are going up, you've expressed the concern that you're, you can get a raise and still be falling behind. Um, once those things start setting in into your mindset, you become, it changes your voting patterns. It changes the way you think of things. And that's one of the big effects that the uh, Biden inflation has had is it's focused people on how government spending has a real impact on your pocketbook. And as a result, that real, they, they are much more likely then to vote their pocketbook, which means voting against the government continuing spending at the record levels they have been. Um, Peggy Geller, I already voted all Republicans. Democrats are ruining our country and states. Debbie, Peggy, good job. Thank you for voting. And make sure you let all your friends and neighbors and anybody who's like-minded know, because the multiplier effect, the Democrats might go out and uh, harvest votes. Um, we want to we want to have our own kind of uh, operation that doesn't just, that isn't harvesting votes, not collecting ballots from people, but instead is just positively encouraging people to go out and exercise their their right to vote. Um, in this time when elect when the country is in so much trouble um, and urge them to, to go out and do that. So it's really now about each one of us going out and getting our friends and, and others. But that's actually why I do, I'm doing so many election things is to encourage everybody who's watching to do just that. 
um, because ultimately uh, we're going to win elections based on people who vote, who didn't plan to vote, but are in your Rolodex, who are in your contact list, Rolodex, no term, sorry, uh, in your contact list. And it's up to you to get those people to get feel committed to vote, whether they're on your Facebook friends list or they're on your regular email contact list or they're on your phone contact list. Um, last one, Mary Jane Blankenbigger. Yes, we need many people to take turns monitoring the drop-off ballot boxes. It's absurd what we're observing. Um, we know that uh, there are people who are, uh, we've got on camera people just dumping a bunch of ballots in in Detroit and elsewhere. Um, but folks, do not get, we do, we, we, if it's not too late for you to contact your local uh, party and say, um, or candidate and say, how can I help in election integrity? How can I help between now and election day? Um, and they will give you things to do. So if you feel so inclined, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, we're, we're seven days out. We are one weekend out. So dedicate a day this weekend to making certain that America, saving America, and that would be worth doing. And with that, I'm going to let you all go. Um, I appreciate everybody turned in and, and stuck with us here. Um, it's understanding polling matters and understanding, you know, kind of just to kind of dissemble what's going on. Um, we'll be talking more about the election. And uh, I believe I'm going to be on with conservative commandos um, on uh, AUN TV and on the, on the various radio stations and online uh, on election night. But I'll let you all know how that all works. And with that, I'm going to sign off. Thank you for um, tuning in this Rick Manning Americans for Limited Government.